All right, we can turn over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. And uh, we've been in this. Keith, good to have you back with us. We've been talking about uh, unity and diversity. And in Romans, the book of Romans, he uh, kind of goes through this this section here, and just to kind of give you a little background of where we've been in the book of Romans, he's talking about um, salvation by grace through faith. That's the whole purpose of this book, to unveil the righteousness of God through the salvation that he offers us. And so he's talking about redemption. He's talking about justification. We've talked about all these things being made right with God uh, through the work of Christ. That's what justification is. And so he laid out this beautiful foundation for us, all these elements in the first 11 chapters. Beginning uh, in v- chapter 12, he starts to talk about some of the, the practical uh, applications and, and consequences of all this doctrine that he just gave us in the first 11 chapters. And uh, he, he talks about uh, some things that are true in life, some things that we just grapple with each and every day. And one of the things that flows out of the doctrine of salvation is that we have a body of Christ, that we are saved not just to practice Christianity on our own, but we're saved to hopefully join and become a part of a, a local body as well as the, the universal body of Christ. And part of that doing, um, when that happens, when you have redeemed people coming together into one place and for a fellowship or whatever, you have all the different personalities all the different backgrounds represented. And so sometimes that can cause some problems (laughs) within the body of Christ because we all don't think alike. We all don't look alike. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different opinions on different things. And uh, sometimes there is conflict. There can become conflict between what we would call strong and, and weak Christians, Christians who maybe have been mature in the Lord for years and other Christians who just got saved. And they come to church, and they see one of the older, more mature saints doing something, and they think, wow, that, that's just so unchristian. Because maybe they don't understand the whole context of their Christianity yet, because they're immature in their faith. And so strong Christians understand their liberty, their freedom to do and to eat things that the Bible doesn't forbid us. Now, we're not free to sin. We're forbidden from sinning. So this call to liberty, this call to freedom in Christ is not a license for us to go out and do whatever we want. That's not what the Bible says. But the Bible does say that we're free to enjoy all good things that God has bestowed on us from above. He's provided these things for our enjoyment. But there are some weak brothers and sisters that maybe don't quite understand their freedom yet. And if you go back in your own faith and you remember when you were first saved, a lot of us, when we first got saved, we were just very black and white on everything. You know, and we were out there going to save the world, and we were laying down the judgment hand of God on people and, you know, calling them to repentance. And, and we probably turned off more people than we <laughs> turned on to Christ, to be honest with us, because they kind of had the idea of, who are you? I know who you are. And they didn't understand the transformation that God had made in our lives. And so a lot of times, weaker brothers and sisters 
less mature brothers and sisters in Christ can't necessarily enter into all that freedom that maybe a more mature person can. Um, And so they're still restricted by the baggage that they have from their prior life. If you were saved out of Judaism, if you were of the Jewish faith and you got saved and you understand now, wow, you're free in Christ, but you know what? You still may hold on to some of those dietary things and you may still hold on to some of the, the Jewish practices because you've been raised with them. Or those of us who have been raised or saved out of the Catholic Church, you know, sometimes it's hard to break away from the guilt and all the performance-minded religion that was ingrained in us all those years in that church. And so when you come here, we have a mindset sometimes as former Catholics of, wow, okay, you know, this is kind of a holy place. And, you know, we want this kind of, this, this mentality to have, and it's not, it's just a building that we gather in. All right. And so I remember some new, new believers, when they would come through the, the doors in the back, they would go for the water thing, and it's not there. And they'd be like, oh, no, what kind of church is this, you know? And we've even had a couple people genuflect, you know, as they cross the aisle, because that's what you do in the Catholic church, you know? And, and they just didn't understand, okay? And so, you know, it would be wrong for a mature believer to go to that person and say, what are you doing? You know, don't you know? That, that wouldn't be right, you know, but rather you go gracefully. And so here he's hung up on eating certain foods, eating meats. And, and back in that time, they got, they got hung up on it because they felt that some meats that were sacrificed to idols, all right, were not appropriate for Christians to eat. They just thought, that's just wrong. And um, it's really the idea that, you know what, the kingdom of God is not of these things. It's not a food and all that. that. That's not matter. We're going to get into that today. But some people were hung up on what they could eat, what they couldn't drink or whatever. Some people were hung up on where they could worship and how they could worship, when they could worship, what day, all right, what festival were they to celebrate. Even now that they're a Christian, they thought they still had to hold on to these things. And uh, many of us have come out of that legalistic background, and we understand the freedom that we enjoy in Christ. But I think this message is not just for those who are weak in Christ, but also for those who are strong, that we need to make sure that we're doing everything within our capacity to make sure that we're not offending, okay, the younger, more immature brother or sister in Christ. And so the Bible points out certain things are sin, and we're not, you know, bending that, um, We're not saying that sin is subjective. We're not saying that sin is up to the one who sins. And if it's not sin for you, then that's wrong. I remember counseling a a couple one time, marital counseling, and I was single and didn't even um, have any really business doing it. But there was no other buddy in the church that could do it because they didn't have a senior pastor at the time. I was a youth pastor. And I was meeting with this couple, and they were supposed to be Christians. And I remember the husband sitting there telling me, no, we prayed about this, and um, God wants us to get a divorce. He's told us, this is what we want to do. And, and as much as I opposed to it, they, that's where they ended up doing. You know? But it was sad because they convinced themselves that something that the Bible calls as sin is wrong was not wrong for them. And not that divorce is always wrong. It's not. I mean, it's not God's ideal, but it's a fact of life. Right, And so the Bible speaks very specifically how to deal with those who've been divorced. But it's not God's ideal for marriage. 
And so there's a potential conflict of all these things, and that's what he's beginning to unfold in chapter 12. And so he, he gives us this information that these conflicts need to be resolved. And basically in, in chapter 14, verse 1, all the way down through chapter 15, verse 13, he addresses these conflicts. And the basic idea is that you have freedom in Christ. Don't forget that. There's such a thing as Christian liberty. You know, you're not held to the legalism uh, that some would like you to believe you are. But we are free from an outward um, expression of that Christian freedom that we don't always have to practice it. It's not something that we're commanded to do. It's just the option that we have there. We're never free to sin, but we're, enjoy, we're encouraged to enjoy all things that God has blessed us with. And specifically here, he begins to talk about food, what they should eat, what they should drink. Now, food in and of itself is not sinful. It's just not. Um, drink in and of itself is not sinful. Recreation, doing stuff on Sunday afternoon is not sinful. Entertainment is not sinful. Now, it can be, right? If you don't pass it through the filter of Scripture, we're, we're told not to put certain things in front of our eyes and things like that, so it can be. But, you know, just because you go out and work in your yard Sunday afternoon, that doesn't mean that you're not observing the Sabbath. Because last time I checked, the Sabbath isn't on Sunday, it's on Saturday. So that really kind of messes up that whole argument. But we have weak brothers and sisters, and we have stronger brothers and sisters. So to or, in order to understand how these two segments of the church are to get along, Paul has given us this insight in chapters 14 and 15. Now, first of all, he begins in verses 1 through 12, and this is just kind of review of what we've been through, that we're to uh, receive one another with understanding. We shouldn't just come to the table without any kind of understanding at all. And that's what he, he, we went through on, on verses 1 through 12 of chapter 14. You're, you're to receive the other person with understanding. Um, secondly, from verses 13 down through 23, chapter 14 there, basically he says you have to not only understand each other, but you're called to build each other up. You're called to edify each other in the body of Christ. All right, so if you're doing something that's not edifying your brother and sister and they are sincerely in Christ, even though you're a more mature believer and you have the right to do that, if that's not edifying to them, the Bible says you shouldn't do it. You should exercise that, that ability to kind of withhold yourself from the, the freedom that you have in Christ because you know that that, whatever it might be, might be offensive. It might um, cause that person that weaker brother to stumble. And so that's a good filter. And, and what am I doing in the body of Christ? Is that building the other person up? Is that edifying them? And then in chapters uh, 15, verses 1 through 7, he talks about pleasing one another with Christ as our example. And then 18 to 13 of chapter uh, 15, he says you, you have to rejoice with one another. But we're back in chapter 14. So let me read the text here uh, once again for us, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. 
For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Or do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to call uh, not to eat meat and drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no, no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is of sin. And so we have this idea of Christian liberty. Our liberty should never cause a brother to stumble. And last week we looked at basically some primary issues, some non-negotiables. We looked at things like the doctrinal issues that we will not negotiate on, the inerrancy of Scripture, sovereignty of God, the atonement, divinity of Christ, so forth. Um, And then we said there's also primary issues, non-negotiables in the moral realm, things like marriage, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life, um, homosexuality, gender-based thought that's creeping into the church. Okay, those are things that the Bible clearly speaks out against. And whether you like it or not, we're going to be very clear on our teachings on those topics. We're not interested in entertaining the modern-day view and culture. We're going to say, what does the Bible say? If the Bible clearly forbids something, then that's what our teaching will be. But there are also secondary issues. You have primary issues, you have secondary issues. You had things that are negotiable, things like spiritual gifts. People have different ideas about spiritual gifts. That's okay. Um, some of them get a little crazy. That's okay. doesn't mean they're not a Christian. Okay, now there are some errant teachers out there that are wolves uh, in sheep's clothing. We have to be careful and discern, you know, what they're teaching. But just because somebody believes a little different on spiritual gifts than what may, we may hear, that doesn't mean they're not a Christian or eschatology, future things, things like that, or the way they run their church. You have deacons, you have elders, all that stuff. All that stuff is, is kind of negotiable. I mean, the Word of God speaks to some of that, but, you know, it's, it, and we have basically our own beliefs here in, in the way that we, we read the Word of God, but we're not going to secondarily separate ourselves from someone who doesn't necessarily agree with us. And then you have other things that are just personal convictions, education, Bible verses, with the style of music you listen to, maybe whether you have a beard or not, or the kind of clothes you wear. Uh, see, the strong, caring Christian will determine in his heart and in his mind that we need to be sensitive to any weakness in a fellow believer. That's what we are called to do. And we need to avoid doing anything, including what is innocent, in and of itself, and it may even be permissible for us to do it. But if it causes another brother or sister to morally or spiritually stumble, then we should not do it. So the first thing was don't cause your 
brother or sister to stumble. Secondly, we said don't grieve your brother. And he says that in verse 14 there. Um, And this is all under the, the, the context of building up the body of Christ, building each other up. So first of all, don't cause somebody to stumble. Secondly, don't grieve your brother. And, and sometimes, you know, you can do things that would spiritually hurt someone. It would spiritually cause them to stumble in their spiritual walk. And the Bible says, don't do that. All right? I, he gets the fact that, hey, nothing is unclean in and of itself. He says that. But if somebody considers it to be unclean, if somebody considers it a sin to do something, and you consider it not a sin, then as the more mature person, you should not cause your, your weaker brother or sister to stumble in that area. Uh, and then the third thing we said, don't devastate your brother. And these kind of build, you know, stumble, grieve, devastate. He says in verse 15, by, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And it's kind of a, a, a warning for the um, stronger believers within the body of Christ to, to make sure that, you know, just because this Christian over here is a little legalistic in their mindset and maybe a little off base in some areas, that doesn't give you the right to just full on judge them. They're still part of the body of Christ if they're those who are legitimately saved. Okay, now there are, granted, there are some people within the body of Christ that aren't saved, and they have a skewed idea of salvation. They have a skewed idea of what it means to be a Christian. And those people need to be called out. But if it's just a weaker brother, then we need to kind of give them grace in that area. So that's where we left off last week. Today, we want to look at don't forfeit your witness. All right, another thing here, a fourth purpose in verse 16. He says this. This all ties together, but he says in verse 16... He says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us persuade or pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding or edification. Uh, you know, the idea here is that we should build up rather than injure weaker brothers, and we need to avoid forfeiting our witness before the rest of the world. You know, what do non-Christians think when they see two Christians arguing over something as silly as, you know, whether you should worship on Sunday or Saturday, or whether you should speak in tongues or not? They just walk away going, yeah, they're a bunch of nuts. It doesn't help our testimony. And that's the point here. Don't, don't forfeit your witness. Now, he's concerned here with developing this thought. He says, let not your good be spoken of, right, as, as evil. Well, what's your good? Agathos is, is the, the original language there. It means uh, intrinsic good, real goodness. He has in mind here the, the freedom that we have in Christ. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Praise God for that. All that salvation provides for us, all the goodness of being a believer, enjoying the things of God. The idea that you can lay your head on the pillow at night knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you don't have to worry about whether you're going to be cast into purgatory or hell. That you know that when you die, the Bible says as a believer in Christ, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. It's very clear. And that's what salvation provides for us. 
And there's a way here in which you can also say that, you know, when, when people look at that and they, 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 they make, kind of, they mock that, um, you know, sometimes our behavior provides a venue for people blaspheming the Lord. Um, because if you abuse your freedom in Christ, it will be blasphemed. People will mock you. So everything God has given to us, has, he's been given, it's been given to us for our enjoyment. And the strong Christian should give thanks for it, rejoice in it. But if he damages other people in the body of Christ and the world, the non-believers are watching his behavior, then even though he's free to do those things, that's not doing anybody any good. That's not helping anybody. It doesn't give the proper testimony. You know, the right thing to do would be to concern for that weaker brother and, and to not to do maybe the thing that you're allowed to do out of deference for that weaker brother so that when your non-Christian neighbor looks at how you treat someone else in your church, they can say, wow, there's something different there. You know, these two guys are like nine, nine day, black and white. But you know what? They have this bond in Christ. And even though they don't agree on everything, it's, it's an amazing thing to see. Um, in, in Romans chapter 2, if you turn back there to verse 24, this kind of was going on back then, and this is why Paul had to address this. In Romans chapter 2, verse 24, he's speaking to the, the Jews here. He says, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. We don't want people in Redwood City to blaspheme the name of God because of us and our relationships with one another. Back then, you had the Jews following all these crazy rules they made up. And the non-Christians were looking at it like, really? Are you sincerely, have you lost your mind? Because he saw, they saw who these guys really were. You know, they, they had all the nice robes on, and they go out on the corner and, and pray these, these wonderful priestly prayers. But they saw the darkness that was in their hearts. And they saw the, the, the yoke, really, of slavery that they put on the Jewish people out of a legalistic mindset when it came to their religion. And, uh, you know, we have to be careful with that. And so he, he goes on here, and he says... Um, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. All right? These things don't really matter. It's not going to matter in heaven what you eat. If you have a glass of wine or you eat whatever, you know, it's, it's not going to matter. It, it's not even about that. And that's what Paul is trying to point out. And yet, because it is something that matters down here, we have to be careful about that. And somebody asked me last week, well, isn't that kind of like situational ethics? Kind of like, okay, if you don't feel something is wrong within your heart to do, say, I mean, let's just say having a glass of wine just because that's a very kind of a applicable thing to our society. You know, you have people within the church that would never even take a, a sip of alcohol. You have other people that would freely drink a glass of wine. They wouldn't get drunk because drunkenness is a sin, okay? Um, and you can argue the whole gateway thing where you could start drinking a glass of wine and end up an alcoholic. Well, that could happen. But that goes back to the whole idea of, you know, knowing yourself and knowing what's going on here. But, you know, so if you're okay with having a glass of wine once in a while and a, and a weaker brother comes over to your house who doesn't think that that's okay, in deference to him, what should you do? Hide the wine. 
Well, isn't that, that's not right. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like situational ethics in a way, but not really. Because you're doing exactly what scripture tells us to do. You don't want to cause that brother or sister to sin. You don't want to cause them to be brought down in their faith. All right? And so if it's, you know, same thing with, with movies. Some people watch certain movies and it doesn't bother them. Other people, you know, get really offended. That You would watch even a G-rated movie. It's just of the devil, the whole screen. Everything is wrong. Okay? And that's their mindset. And so you have to kind of be aware of that as you deal with people within the body of Christ. And this is what Paul is talking about. Um, it is possible to abuse our freedom in Christ, our liberty in Christ, um, so that we create unnecessary conflict within the body of Christ. And we're not called to do that. Um, you know, if you had your unsaved pagan neighbor who freely offered sacrifices to some idol, some unknown god, and he invited you over for dinner, and he took part of his sacrifice, and when you got there, he said, yeah, this, this meat's really good, man. We just, you know, we, we sacrificed it to the god whoever. And you're going, well, okay. So, but it's really good meat, so it's, let's sit down and eat. If you're, if, you're, if you're a mature believer, you realize, you know what, there's no God but God. So really what he's sacrificing this meat to is nothing. So it's really irrelevant what he's done with it. As long as it tastes good, I'm going to eat it. All right? It, it's, it's not going to affect me one way or the other. Now, say along with me, I bring another brother in the Lord who's a brand new Christian. Who got saved out of a pagan background. And say, he used to sacrifice meat to this pagan god. And we sit around the dinner table, and the unbeliever comes out and says, hey, I got a great feast for us, this meat, man. We just sacrificed it this morning to this unknown god, and and we're going to eat it right now. Even though I don't have a problem with it, this other believer who's just freshly saved may go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going back there. There's no way I'm going to eat that meat. No way. And you have to stop and you say, well, what's the right call? If you're free to do it, shouldn't you just deal with it? Hey, brother, just deal with it, man. You know, we're free to eat all things in Christ. Do you go that route or do you give deference? Do you give grace? Turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because he speaks specifically about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, he was writing this to the church here at Corinth, and, and we read out of, out of uh, Corinthians earlier. This church had a lot of issues. They had a lot of problems going on. I mean, just by the text I read, you understood, in, before communion, they had di- divisiveness going on. They had immorality going on. Even when they were, when they were uh, celebrating the Lord's table, they turned it into this love feast, which was just totally immoral, drunkenness, um, immorality. During the whole Lord's Supper, they were doing this. I mean, just to show you how far this church was gone. But here, they have this issue with eating meat as well. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Kind of makes sense. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. In other words, you may have a right to do something, but 
if it's not going to help somebody or if it's not going to edify them, don't do it. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. In other words, it really doesn't matter who it's sacrificed to. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. In other words, it doesn't make any difference. Verse 28, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. And that means somebody else at the table. They're offended at this. Wow, I can't believe you're going to eat this. Then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? But if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. See, the point is this. If I was at a dinner table with this pagan neighbor that invited me to eat this meat, the sacrifice to an idol, and I took a brother in the Lord who was from that background, and there was no way they were going to eat that meat, I'm going to end up offending somebody, right? In our, in our logic, we think, well, we're guests in the home. We should not offend the unsaved neighbor, we should offend the weaker brother. So let's just eat it. And the Bible says, no, that's the wrong answer. You don't want to offend the weaker brother. You go ahead and you offend the unbeliever. And you say, you know what? I'd rather not. Is that going to be offensive to him? Probably. But what's that going to show? That's going to show unity with these two Christians, even though they may, not, they may not agree on the issue. The more mature believer is going to say, hey, you know what, out of deference, I'm, I'm just not going to eat this either. Yeah, you're right. And just pray this guy gets turned around quick and understands that this meat is okay because you don't want to go through this again. You know, because that's what the Bible says. But see, they're not all on the same page. And see, and that's what is a very practical way of looking what Paul is teaching us back in Romans 14. And this is what he goes on and he says here for the, you know, I'm free to do whatever. I can, I can eat anything. And in chapter 9, verse 19, he says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, Paul says, that I might win the more. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, I can do whatever I want in Christ as long as it's not sinful. But I shouldn't take the attitude, I can do whatever I want, even if it offends you weaker Christians, because I really don't care. That would be wrong, and that would be harmful to the body of Christ. And so back to 14, he says here, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. And then he tells us what it is. If you ever wondered what the kingdom of God is about, he tells us right there. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. First of all, it's righteousness. The issue of righteous living Holy, obedient lives, living for Christ. See, when we get saved, when we come to Christ, when we give him our life, that's what we're doing when we come to Christ. We're saying, hey, I give up, take over control. When we do that, we no longer have the right to do whatever we want. See, we want to think we still do, but we don't. 
Our lives should be honoring to him. Our lives should be conforming to his will. Um, As a Christian, my concern should not be focused on my freedom in Christ to do whatever I want. My focus should be on what? On my holiness. What would glorify Christ? What would honor Christ? My concern is not with what I eat or what I drink, my right to do this or that. We're all concerned about our rights. And what we have to come to understand is it's not about that. It's about our righteousness, our holiness, our integrity. Because that's what the world is looking at. When they watch us as Christians, the non-Christians, they look at us and they watch our lives and they say, wow, okay, what's going on here? And they begin to make assessments. And see, that's what the world is looking for, that they're looking for the fruits of righteousness. They're looking that this Jesus thing is a real thing. And so he goes on, he says, not only righteousness there, but he says also peace. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace. That, that peaceful relationship. That's what people are looking for. People are looking for peace today. They're looking for peace in the world. They're looking for peace in their family. They're looking for peace with their kids. They're looking for peace in their marriages, at their jobs. And when they look at the church and they find a bunch of Christians that are only concerned about themselves, there's no peace. There's absolutely no peace. I heard a read an illustration of a church that had this big deal about whether or not they could have a Christmas tree in the sanctuary. Oh. Now, I know there's views on both sides. You can you know, go to Scripture and pull stuff out of context and make it mean whatever you want. But this is a good illustration. This church, literally, it came down to the Christmas Eve service. And the board and the congregation still wasn't on agreement on this. So the little committee got together and they said, we're putting that tree up there. So sure enough, man, they came in early. They put that tree right front center. Big, beautiful tree. Supposed to have this big choir presentation for the community. 15 minutes before, somebody saw it. Went up there and a couple guys hauled that tree right outside. Hey, we're not putting that tree in our church. Guess what? They're not going to have that. What they do? And this is all going on. It's having this outreach for the, the uh, community. It went back and forth. It got to the point, okay, where they actually, factions in the church sued each other. No joke. I mean, bizarre, right? I mean, this is bizarre world we're talking about here. This is not peace in the church. It's chaos. Think of that community. I mean, think of the baggage that they created in that community on that church. For anything to do in the future. All because of a stupid Christmas tree? I mean, give me a break. It's ridiculous. See, peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. It's that, it's that contingent love, joy, peace. Okay? We need to make sure that we understand that. Uh, Romans chapter 12, he tells us that be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. 
It's just basic 101 church, okay? Just be gracious with people. Those are the marks of genuine peace. He says peace, joy, or righteousness and peace. And then he says, the last thing here, he says, you want to know what the kingdom of God is about? It's about the joy of believers. Joy is a personal joy of knowing God. I mean, can you imagine going back to your life prior to the time when you didn't know Christ? When you didn't know your sins were forgiven? When you didn't know the joy of being part of a body of believers, you could come together knowing that they're willing to sacrifice for one another. The happy life of salvation rejoices in all things. And you know what? That's a, it's, a, it's a weird attraction from those who are outside the body of Christ. They look at that and they go, man, what's going on there? They just can't get it because that's not what it's like in the world. And that's what we're called to be. Righteous, peace, joyful. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6 says, Even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of persecution, Christians, those who know Christ, are able and should always seek the joy of the Spirit. When the world sees relationships of peace, that's just a foreign thing to them. They don't get it. Why? Because they live in a world of chaos, right? They live in a world where there is no peace. And when the world sees that deep, profound joy in the Holy Spirit, that, that happiness that's just kind of foundational, and they see that, that kingdom-living person that's really living for Christ each and every day, that's attractive to them in a way that nothing else could be. And so the loving, selfless Christian who is in this way, it says, serves Christ... He's acceptable to God and approved by men. That word approved refers to acceptance with careful examination. Not just to throw up your hands, yeah, I accept it. No, you're actually checking it out. It has the idea of a jeweler when you take that thing in to to get it appraised. He's not just going to say, yeah, I'll give you 50 bucks. No, he's going to take it and he's going to look at it. He's going to see if there's any flaws in it. He's going to see what kind of metal it is or what kind of diamond it is. And then he will give you the proper assessment if he approves of it. In, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Paul says that we are to serve Christ selflessly, selfishly, selflessly, sorry, selflessly. I'm going to edit that out. We prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. That's what Christ called us to be, did he not? To be the salt, the light of the world. Well, how are you going to do that is all, if all you're showing is darkness? So Paul says there in verse 19, he says, we're to pursue the things which make for peace and building up of one another. What makes for peace? First on the list is humility. Humility. It's hard to not have peace with somebody who's a humble person. That doesn't come naturally to any of us, but that's what we're called to. Because humility basically says the issue's with me. It's not with you. So if you have a brother or sister in the Christ that disagrees with you on something, you know, you don't try to get all defensive and, and try to convince them. Just be gracious. Humility, selfless love, compassion for the need of others. Those are the things which make for peace. 
And that's what he concluded in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He says, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, he says. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. No doubt we want God to be present in our lives. No doubt we want people to see that. Are we willing to do that building up process of others? Or are we constantly trying to tear, tear them down? That's what he says in verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and the mutual edification and the mutual upbuilding. Well, quickly here he says also, don't destroy the work of God in verse 20 to 21. He says, don't for something that doesn't have anything to do with the kingdom of God for the sake of food. Destroy the work of God. What's he talking about? He says, don't tear down the work of God. This is a present imperative. It suggests that Paul was commanding certain believers in Rome to discontinue something that they were already doing. In the days of the early church, many offenses against the consciousness of the younger, more immature brother or sister had to do with food. Jews basically said that certain things were declared ceremonially unclean under the Mosaic law. For Gentiles, it it related to eating food that was sacrificed to an idol. But Paul warns here, he says, food and drink are not sinful in and of themselves. It just doesn't work that way. They're only sinful when you use that as, as a method of sinning. The work of God here clearly refers to believers. Ephesians 2.10, right? What does Paul say? That we are his, what? Workmanship in Christ. So he's referring to the life of believers. So it's not only a serious offense against a weaker brother to cause him to stumble, but a serious offense against the purposes of God. So you're not just concerned about sinning against another brother or sister in Christ. You're, You're causing them to stumble, but you should be Concerned with how does God view that? How infinitely worse, he says, is to tear down a work of God. And we looked at last week, for whom Christ died. See, sometimes we lose our perspective in the church because we're around all these Christian people. And so we begin to dial down and we begin to separate ourselves from the literal body of Christ because, well, somebody else has a different view of that verse than I do. When really, you know what, there are good people on both sides of maybe that verse. And you don't call for secondary separation on such issues. Now, if it's something sinful, if somebody's saying Jesus isn't God, well then, yeah, you want to separate from that person. You want to separate from them fast. You want to try to point them out, convince them. But if it's something that's not sinful, if it's just something that's an opinion, okay, then we need to be careful about that. And so he says, don't do this for the sake of food. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. He kind of reiterates that exact same point that we made the first one. Do not make your brother stumble. He says in verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So he's kind of throwing up throwing out the the, the gauntlet here. And he says, you know, whether it's meat, whether it's wine, whatever it is, it could be listening to music. It could be the way you dress. It could be whatever. If someone approaches you and says, you know, this is just really causing me some issues, then we need to take that into consideration. 
And then he says here, basically, the faith that you have, verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. This is the idea that, you know what, don't, don't flaunt this freedom you have in Christ. This is the last reason for exercising our freedom in Christ. We can harm even ourselves when we don't view our freedom in Christ from God's perspective. Our freedom in Christ is not given to us so that we can go out and offend everybody with our behavior. That's not the purpose. We lose that perspective when we denounce or belittle good things that he has given us. When on the other extreme, we, we flaunt our liberty without caring about how we affect others. We have to be careful of that. And he's directing this, verse 22, obviously, to the strong Christian, the one who understands and appreciates his freedom. So keep this between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So he says, you know, this isn't, this isn't a matter of, of life or death here. And then he says in verse 23, finally he says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. In other words, if you don't want to eat the meat, then don't eat the meat. But don't think somebody else has to abide by your rules and regulations that have no scriptural basis. If you don't want to listen to country music, don't listen to country music. You know, just because it's not a ham, it doesn't mean that it's sinful. I'm sorry. I went to a college and said, hey, you can't listen to anything that has a beat. And I'm like, any music that has a beat? I thought, this is ridiculous. I mean, if you know anything about music, all music, classical music has a beat. Kind of bizarre. Don't let yourself get to that point. He says, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So he clears it up. In the end, he says, you know what? If your conscience is, is not letting you do something, then don't do it. But if you're a weaker brother, the admonition to you is you shouldn't, unless you can point to chapter and verse, you shouldn't just assume that everybody else in the body of Christ has your viewpoint on this. And you should practice some humility in your, your newfound faith and your eagerness to get everybody on the same page with you as a new believer. You need to be a little gracious with people. If you're a stronger brother, you need to be a little gracious with that more eager, immature believer. And when that happens, what happens is you see the body of Christ come together. And you see the body of Christ come together from different backgrounds, different life experiences. Why? Because they're not focused on what they're eating and what they're drinking. They're focused on what? They're focused on Christ. They're focused on the bond that they have in Christ. Set aside that liberty... And just enjoy your, your freedom in Christ. Enjoy it. If it causes you, another brother or sister, to, to not be built up, not be edified, then don't. Don't do that thing, whatever it might be. And with that, God will be honored. God will be blessed. Plus, you'll see a lot more peace within the body of Christ. You really will. Father, we thank you for our word today. Lord, thank you for our communion time. We thank you for Paul explaining these things to us in his word. 
and uh, to the Romans here. And, and Lord, we pray that you would help us to build each other up, that we would not look for areas of disagreement and focus on them, but Lord, that we would look for areas where we can unite together as the body of Christ. And it's not that we have some general mamby-pamby theology that lays down to everybody else. That's not what we're about at all. We have a very precise theology here in this church, and we gather that not from our opinion, but by, from your word, from the word of Scripture. And where there's areas that the Bible doesn't speak clearly on that, we, we would gladly withhold our opinion on such areas. And so, Father, we pray that you would unify us for the cause of Christ, to reach out to this lost and dying world with the, the wonderful news of the gospel, that Christ came, Christ died, he was buried, he rose on the third day, victorious over sin and death, and that's something that we can all enjoy as well if we only cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That humble cry from that lost heart God will transform you. He will forgive your sin. He will make you one of his children. You'll be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And you'll experience a transformation like never before. We thank you and we praise you. Pray for our fellowship time as well. That you'd bless the food of our bodies and just our fellowship. And thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.